Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, June 4th. It's been a little while since we published one of these podcasts. That, of course, is a mistake on our front. We know it's French Open time. You guys are trying to find your content every day. The opening rounds of the Grand Slams obviously can be overwhelming, so we do apologize for that. On the bright side, why we didn't have podcasts, a little vacation time for us at Cracked Rackets, obviously it being the late spring, beginning of the summer season. It really is wedding season, uh, you know, Memorial Day weekend. I was in Philadelphia, Westoff and Dalton had another wedding this past weekend. I got to do a little traveling to Sarasota for a little club tennis reunion trip, played a bunch of tennis there. We'll save those stories for the end because you guys will want to hear my experiences. I definitely learned some things about myself on the tennis court that I didn't know before. Uh, but on the production side, Westoff Dalton, one of their friends, Ledge, had their wedding this weekend. So they were occupied as well. Rothman's doing Rothman things. Everyone's a bunch of places. We do apologize for that. But we know it's the home stretch, and we will have a ton of content coming for you now. Joining me on today's Mini Break podcast, it only seems fitting because, as we mentioned, it's been a little while, so we have a ton of things to talk about. The most exciting, uh, excited person by all of the tennis I can imagine in the tennis world will be joining me today. He is a former four-star tennisrecruiting.net recruit. Obviously, you know his writing well from our website, CrackedRackets.com. I affectionately call him Matt the Cracks to Koyak. Matty, welcome back to to the mini break podcast gruskin we got a job to do man we got to catch these <laughs> listeners up we've been gone we got a lot of tennis to talk about the french has been phenomenal so far i've really been enjoying it uh let's get into it man this is good stuff one of my favorite parts of this weekend, at least for me personally, was getting to be with my club tennis teammates. Obviously, so much tennis being talked about, being played all the time. I was immersed in tennis conversations. I threw a couple of the debates we had this weekend into our Slack channel so our Crack Rackets team could talk about them. So yeah, I have a ton of things to talk about. Uh, before we even get into any of the results, since it's you on the line, let's start here. Our top three seeds cruise into the quarterfinals looking so comfortably. Even before we get into any results, any particular matchups, just what has your takeaway been from the top three and how they've performed thus far? You must be licking your chops. Well, I'm licking my chops, but I mean, what what's not to like? They've just, they've all been outstanding, all three of them. I mean, I, I really, I, I want to say that even though I, I tend to pick chalk and I did, uh, you know, I didn't have any early <laughs> upsets in this tournament in my bracket. Uh, no, I'm actually a little bit surprised at how well all three of them have played, especially Roger. I mean, we haven't seen him at Roland Garros in a few years. Uh, it was it was a little bit of a question mark, him coming into this tournament on the clay, but he has been amazing. I mean, hasn't dropped a set. Rafa's doing Rafa things, and Novak has that look in his eye like he, he wants to win another major. And I mean, when he gets in that mode, he's He's nearly impossible to beat. So I think, you know, we're through four rounds here. We've got the quarterfinals coming up and, and they're gonna be they're gonna be some awesome matches. So I'm really looking forward to it. That Nadal is the only one of the three who's dropped a set is just indicative of the level they've all reached and I think it has to be said, this isn't a complaint, this isn't me saying, oh, this is the only reason why these three have reached this level of the tournament, but 
the draws have just broken beautifully for them. On the Federer portion, our guy Berrettini doesn't even get a shot at him. He loses up before right. that. You look for Federer, you know, for Fe- Roger Federer, if you're drawing up third and fourth round matches and you have Casper Ruud, who is an incredibly talented young player, but a guy who facing Roger Federer in his, you know, first career Grand Slam third round, that's as perfect as you can draw it up for Fed. And then you look the next round, Leonardo Mayer, now no disrespect to him, but again, that's who Federer wants to be playing and it was either that or Nicolas Mahout. It's just, you know, as little wear and tear as he, as he wanted to accumulate, as little wear and tear as possible that first week, and things just broke beautifully for him. And just and then on the Djokovic side, now I think his his portion of the draw really picks up once we hit this quarterfinal round. But it's the same thing. If I would have told him you're going to get Struff after an 11-9 fifth set after he upsets Borna Chorich for your fourth round match, he's like, yeah, I'll take that. Oh, of course. Yeah, I really all all three of the top seeds have had, I think, very, very good draws. I mean, Rafa, you mentioned lost his one set to GoFan, who played some outstanding tennis. That was as well as I've seen GoFan play in a long time. So that was good to see. But yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, the draws have definitely broken their way. I think all of them were, were pretty pleased with how that went down. But you know, now we really get into the nitty-gritty quarterfinals time, man. There, there are no easy matches at this point. So we'll really see what they're made of. And they should be fresh. I mean, there's no excuses. These guys, I think they're healthy. Uh, they haven't spent all that much time on the court. And they should be ready to, to go for the quarters. So we'll see what happens. And we will get to previewing those quarterfinal uh, matches at the end of this podcast. I want to take a look at the women's side as well, kind of the big picture again before we get into particular results. And you look at these quarterfinal matches, you know, familiar names for our listeners, Madison Keys, who I believe made last year's semifinals at the French Open. Uh, Simona Halep, who won this thing last year. Sloane Stephens, a finalist here last year. And then a lot of new faces, but a lot of faces who have had a ton of success during this 2019 WTA season. Ashley Barty, the number eight seed, obviously has held seed thus far. I believe she made the final in Miami uh, earlier this year, so not a shock to see her do well, though nice to see her do well on the clay. Amanda Nisimova, young American talent, obviously so talented. Uh, she made, I, I think, the round of 16 at the Australian Open, so she continues to thrive on the big stage. Joe Conta, a name WTA fans are very familiar at this point. But then at that bottom point of the quarter, I think it's very interesting. You know, Vondrasova with a great run. But Petra Martic, who leads the WTA and wins on clay this season, I think she had a great performance in Charleston earlier on in the clay portion. I mean, she has just shown a level so high thus far. And it's it's just fascinating to me this way that the draw has opened up. Yeah, well, this is the WTA. I mean, this is what makes the women's side so interesting because we we tend to see more upsets. And, you know, there's names in there that we really, you know, at the beginning of the tournament, we would not have expected to be in the quarterfinals. I mean, Vondrasova, I I don't think anybody really had her at quarters. If you did, great shot. Uh, You know, this is a mini (laughs) break, but... Good for you. That's a great shot. You know, Anna Samova, I mean, that's great to see for the Americans. I love her game. Uh, Super young player. Tons of talent there. That's excellent to see. And Madison Keys has not had a great year in 2019. She'll tell you that. But... Uh, you know, there's still time left and she's, she's kind of putting it all together right now, just, just at the right time here at Roland Garros. So that's good to see. But, you know, really when you look at it, I mean, Halep is that one name, right? That, you know, we see in there and we're like, okay, yes. Like we definitely thought she would be in at this point of the draw, you know, 
We don't see Osaka. We don't see Wozniacki. We don't see uh, a Kavitova or a Pliskova or or Kerber. Kerber. Any of those names, you know, they're they're gone. So it, it's just no Serena. You didn't say anything. no Serena, right? Exactly. I mean, that's that's what makes the women's side so interesting. Is that you know whether it's the big names going down or some of these other lesser known players that just are playing great tennis at the right time. It's a much more open draw, and anybody can take it. And just real quick to your Madison Keys things, and we can argue about this later, but she did, again, win Charleston, got wins there over Sloan Stevens, Ostapenko, Mo- uh, Monica Pui, Caroline Wozniacki. Then she struggles in Madrid, loses first round to Kirstea, three sets. She struggles in Italy. She she wins her first round match, loses three sets to Sophia Kennan. Although then, then again, given what we've seen from Sophia Kennan, not necessarily a bad loss. What I'm trying to say, even, Madison Keys has shown good form, and I think, you know, I gave Cal Hammond a hard time in we talked about it a little bit. He called her, a, you know, a sneaky good clay court player. And I just think the way she's able to buy time for her plus one on the surface, her serve being such a, you know, such a huge weapon on the WTA tour. It's just she has time to take those huge back swings on the forehand and the backhand. And, you know, clay really reveals some of her best tennis. So it's been a pleasure to see her. And then, yeah, for Simona Hal, talk about someone who's just gotten better and better as the tournament's gone on. She drops, I think, first sets in her first first two matches now she's into the quarterfinal after a 6-1 6-0 win I mean she is probably the favorite heading into the second week right yeah I would think so I mean defending champion no she's won this tournament I think she loves it in Paris it's one of her favorite tournaments if not her favorite tournament of the year and she's been outstanding thus far I mean she's hardly losing games at this point so um, it's going to be a challenge for Anna Samova, but I love that matchup in the quarters. I mean, give me that all day long. That's that's a super interesting matchup. And yeah, at this point, I mean, I would definitely lean Halep, uh, you know, for winning winning the tournament. But we'll see. I mean, on on the women's side, man, th- there's a lot of crazy things that could happen. So we got to watch out for it. Well, that's a perfect segue. Speaking of crazy things, I do want to start our recaps with a little bit about the third round, uh, particularly on the women's single side. The most notable result, uh, maybe of the tournament to that date, Sophia Kennan knocks out number ten seed Serena Williams six two seven five. Watching this match, the versatility Kennan displayed, she understood I cannot let Serena get in a rhythm, and she mixed in slice, drop shots, uh, various high, you know lobs, high elevation over the net. She made a lot of first serves in this match, making 64% of them. Uh, now, it didn't come to the net that often, but just put a ton of extra balls in play, and again, kept Serena from getting a balance. I mean, this was just, it was an incredible result, and I don't even think Serena played poorly. I just think Kennan played that well. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like Kennan just took Serena out of her game. I mean, from the very beginning, it was evident that Kennan knew exactly how she wanted to play this match. And she just, she executed to to a T. I mean, she couldn't have asked for anything better. I mean, 23 winners to 17 unforced errors. When you go plus six in that category, I mean, that's a great start. But you mentioned, I mean, I think she was aggressive when she needed to play aggressively. And I think she was able to mix it up when she needed to mix it up with slices and, and things of that nature. So overall, it was just the perfect combination of aggressive tennis along with with a lot of, uh, you know, finesse and just being able to mix it up. And it threw Serena off. And yeah, Serena just, she didn't have any answers. She she wasn't feeling it out there. And 
you know, she she tried. Serena get that look where she's like, all right, I'm not going down without a fight. She played a better second set, but this was Kennan's match, and it didn't shock me at all. I mean, once I once I was watching it, you know, I, it just it was very evident that Kennan was the better player on that particular day. And you look at, you talked about her aggressive nature for Serena. She goes 9 of 23 on second serve points. You know, Kennan really jumped on those opportunities. I've said it many times, and this is not a hot take. Serena served the best shot in the history of the women's game. And, you know, Sophia Kennan understood when I get a second serve, I have to be the aggressor. And she jumped on those opportunities to get Serena, you know, moving laterally, consistently side to side, as I mentioned, not letting her set up on the baseline, really strike away. Although to Serena, Serena's credit, she hits 30 winners against 34 unforced errors. Not a terrible ratio. She makes 64% of her first serves, wins 63% of those uh, points. But to me, one of the interesting things, Serena goes 5 of 12 at the net. I think that spoke to the fact that, you know, when Kennan's mixing in that slice, there were times where Serena just didn't want to get in. You know, she didn't want to continue in that funky rhythm. She just moved forward behind balls that she wouldn't ordinarily approach behind. And that gave Kennan a good look at a bunch of passes. And to Kennan's credit, 23 winners against 17 unforced errors, as you mentioned, when she got the chance, she hit those passes successfully. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was just execution. I mean, simple execution. You know, you can go into a match with a game plan, and we've all done this, and you, and you try to play, but but it's just not falling that day, and, and your shots aren't, aren't fine in the court. I mean, she knew what she wanted to do, and they were falling. She executed, and, you know, when you're a professional player like that and, and you know, they're falling, you're you're probably going to win. And, and it wasn't Serena's best day. I mean, let's be honest. She We've seen Serena play much better, but, again, she's only continuing to get older. I mean, I don't know if we're, we're really going to see the Serena that we – may want to see and that we've seen, you know, in the past. I don't know if we're going to get that again, Gruskin. I, I just don't. I, I think it's going to be tougher for her to find that form again. So, you know, this is just one of those matches where it's like, man, Kennan, Kennan's one of the next, you know, she's next for the U.S. Serena, this may be, uh, you know, it, it may be the end of it a little bit. So we can end on this Serena thing real quick, and we'll talk about Kennan's upside when we talk a little bit more about Anisimova because there are a bunch of young American females who are just so impressive right now on the WTA circuit. And we'll get into all of them in a little bit, I promise. But on the Serena thing, yeah, you talk about her window closing. That's not a hot take. She's not 28 anymore. She's just not in her physical prime. She can't dominate the way she once did on any surface now, you throw Serena Williams on a grass court, you know, with her serve, with the ability to she has to, you know, dictate and just, you know, hit aggressive returns that just put you in such a difficult position on grass that that next ball from her, you know she's following it in or aggressively lasering a flat forehand to the other side of the court. Maybe not on clay, but who's to say she, I, I, if anything, making the third round here, she's definitely in the hunt for Wimbledon. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it just seems to me now, though, that there's there's more young players that are that are really good. I mean, the Kennans, the Anisimovas. I mean, those are Americans. But you look at like a Bianca Andreescu when she's playing well. I mean, there's just but to Linda me there's Benchich. a lot of Benchich. I mean, just Alice. there's exactly there's so many players that 
it's just going to be harder and harder for Serena, I think, because she's going to run into some of these players in earlier rounds. She's not going to, this isn't going to be, you know, quarters, semifinals that she plays these guys anymore. It's going to be earlier, you know, second, third rounds. Like this match was a third round. So I, you know, if she does well at Wimbledon, no, I'm not going to be shocked. It's Serena. You can't be shocked by anything, but I, I think it's going to be a greater challenge. You know, if Jonathan Kelly listens to this, he'll get mad at me if I don't say it. So we meant you mentioned some of those young Americans. You know who else are young Americans that have a ton to prove and probably are upset that we overlooked them there? Sloane Stevens and Madison Keys, who are what, ready to win Grand Slams now. Obviously, they have put themselves in the quarterfinal round. You talk about that competition. It comes from all levels, not just the American players, but the Pliskovas, you know, Wozniacki still out there, Kerber still out there, Benchich. There's just so many talented players. So, yes, it's that much harder to win a slam at this point. Because Osaka. We, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Even mention exactly the list goes on and on and on. Right. So I completely I agree with you. All I'm saying is don't overreact to a Serena third round loss on a surface that at this point will never be her best. Right? I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, at the end of the day, I I can agree with that. It's just from what I see, man, it's just it's going to be tougher and tougher for. Her. Uh, it just it is because these players are coming up, man, and they're and they're playing well, and it just seems to me like. She's not quite there, man, mentally and physically. I think if she's a step slow physically, then that's going to frustrate her mentally. And it all just, it kind of goes hand in hand, but we'll see. Sure. Well, then, you know, you look at some of the other notable um, results from that third round. Uh, obviously, Naomi Osaka, someone you mentioned there, goes out in the third round to Sinyakova, a 6-4, 6-2 for Osaka. She just never really seemed to get comfortable in that match and, you know, she still has a chance to end the tournament as the number one overall player in the world, and I'm not really concerned about her development on clay long term. If anything, I, I just think this one got away from her. Yeah, this was just overall, I think this was a poor tournament. She played poorly in this yeah, tournament. Even exactly. in her first couple rounds, she was down a set. She really should have been out uh, you know, in the first round. She was down a set in, in a break twice in the second, down match points. She ended up saving it to come back and win, and then she had a tough match with Azarenka in the second round. But man, she was just flirting with disaster throughout this entire tournament. And in that third round, it just it caught up to her. She did not play well. I mean, she'll be the first to mention that she was way off her game, and you know that's what happens. So yeah, overall, I mean, I'm not too concerned. I just think it was a poor tournament. Uh, she'll she'll rebound and she'll be back again. Perfectly stated. Well, then we can move on. Madison Keys, a winner in three sets over Blinkova, 6-3, 6-7, uh, We mentioned the Kennan result. Ashley Barty, a winner in straight sets. Simona Halep, straight sets. Uh, Swadek in three sets over Puig. Anisimova in straights. Bolsova in straights. Sloan Stevens, a, a three-set battle, but she survives. Uh, Muguruza over Svitolina, 6-3, 6-3. And we will talk about the Muguruza-Steven match in a second. Uh, Belinda Bencic knocked out by Vekic, 6-4, 6-1. Kanta over Kuzmova, 6-2, 6-1. Vondrasova over Suarez, Navarro, 4-4. Four four. Sevastova, 11-9 in the third over Mertens. Kanepi, 6-0 in the third over Kudermatova. And then Martic, as we mentioned, a straight set winner over Karolina Pliskova, the number two seed. I honestly feel like I'm fatigued. I, I'm, I'm a little podcast. It takes one week off and like talking that fast. Because <laughs> I can tell I'm like, trying to catch my breath. 
Uh, but that set us up a, a fantastic uh, mat- setup for the fourth round, and one of the matches I really wanted to key in on that Sloan Stevens match against uh, against Garvin Muguruza. Stevens, a six four six three winner, and. To me, this was the first match of the tournament where I saw, and it's not that Sloane Stevens played poorly before, but she showed that form of a French Open finalist. She showed that ability. I mean, Muguruza was playing so aggressively. The way she's able to hit through the, a slow red clay court, keep her opponent off balance was so impressive, and yet... For me, I just saw Sloan. She found the backhand down the line so many times. She was able to keep Muguruza off rhythm, hit behind her, and it, it was just so impressive. Every shot select, every shot she has available to her, every angle uh, she managed to find in this turn, uh, in this match. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, this was the match that really told me, okay, I mean, Sloan is here to, to win the whole thing. I mean, that's... And not to cut you off, but this is how excited I was. And first of all, I'm so happy to be talking about this with you, Maddie. But I really cannot stress enough, Muguruza was playing fantastic tennis like she was playing aggressively she was going for her shots and like I'm I don't want to take anything away from her I think if anything that adds to you what you're saying which is Sloane Stevens dominated the court yeah she did and I mean look Muguruza is a former champion here I mean they you know we can't understate that she knows what it takes to win Roland Garros and, and Sloan obviously has been to a final, so I mean it's not that much of a difference. Sloan knows what it takes, but she she's got an unbelievable way of just getting around that court, man. I mean her athleticism is is off the charts, and when she moves her feet and gets in position, she strikes the ball super well. And I mean when she's feeling it, you put that combination together, her athleticism, and then that ball striking. And she's that, that's somebody that can be a, a top player in the world and win Grand Slams. So, yeah, this match really told me that, hey, I mean, Sloan is here to win the whole thing. And anything less than a title, I mean, she's not going to be happy with. She knows she can make the run. She's done it before. And she's got that look where she's like, yeah, I'm going all the way. You look at the breakpoint opportunities in this match. Sloan Stevens four of eight to Muguruza's four of eight uh, to Muguruza's two of eight. Excuse me, but you look at the total receiving points played. Muguruza plays seventy nine to Stevens sixty one. I really thought Muguruza in a, in a bunch of games worked her way into them. Had a bunch of opportunities on Sloan's second serve, but she con- Sloan continued to find passing shots. Continued to find ways to get Muguruza uncomfortable. Really targeted the Muguruza backhand only went to the forehand in dire situations and because she was so picky on the backhand it opened up the backhand down the line for Sloan so perfectly so just to see all of her patterns working despite going 20 winners against 25 unforced errors just a fantastic level for her and it bodes so well heading into the second week. Yep, I agree. I mean, it, it definitely wasn't the perfect match by any mm-hmm. means. I mean, from either one of them, there there were errors made, but they were playing big. And, and you hit on that point. I mean, there's no question about it. They were playing some big tennis. They were they were going for their shots. So of course, naturally, the errors are gonna are gonna come into play there a little bit. But yeah, I mean, this was a great step for Sloane. I mean, I think with her draw, I think she's got a golden opportunity to make a final here again. I, I really think she can do it. And for me right now, I'm I I favor her to to make the final in that side of the draw, that bottom half of the draw. I I really like her chances if she can continue to play at this level. 
And when you talk about that bottom half of the draw, the other winners, Joe Conta over Vekic, 2-4. Vondrasova over Sevastova, 6-2-6-0. Petra Martic over Kanepi, 5-7-6-2-6-4. Yeah, none of those, I mean, none of those players have the pedigree of Grand Slam champion Sloane Stevens, of course, and considering she made the final last year, she's proven, you know, she can succeed at Roland Garros, but... I, I don't know. I have really enjoyed the way Petra Martic has played, even starting with her match. The way she uh, played against Pliskova to follow it up the way she did against Kanepi. She moves the ball around the court so well. Will really stretch you. The thing I like, and this is really projecting because if I have, again, Vondrasova, Kanta, both fantastic players could certainly win. But if I see a Martic-Stevens matchup, I just don't know what weapon she would turn to to consistently hurt Stevens. But still, that would just be some fantastic counterpunch tennis. Yeah, I think that would be good. I, I just, I think Sloan would go into that match feeling, like you mentioned, pretty comfortable that Martic doesn't really have any kind of weapon that can really hurt her that bad. I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Muguruza, right? Who can absolutely rip the ball and has weapons. So if they do get there in the semis, I mean, I, I look for Sloan to be confident uh, and just and take that match. So I, I, right now, I don't think either Kanta or uh, Vondrasova or Martic, I'm looking at that for Sloan going. She, she's my favorite, no question about it, in that bottom half of the draw. I don't disagree with you, and we'll do a little predicting at the end, but let's look at the top half real quick. Uh, we mentioned Madison Keys earlier, a 6-2-6-4 winner over Sinyakova. She'll match up now with number 8 seed Ashley Barty, who knocks out Sophia Kennan 6-3-3-6-6-0, gets that third set bagel uh, to advance to the quarterfinal round. On the bottom half of that side, Simona Halep, as we mentioned, just a comprehensively dominating performance, 6-1-6 over Swadik. And then the young American, Amanda Anisimova, a 6-3-6-0 winner against Balsova. We haven't talked about Anisimova yet, Matt, so let's talk about her a little bit. I mean, the weapons from this young 17-year-old, it doesn't matter what side of the court, you know, the forehand, the backhand, she'll throw in angles to set up passing shots for herself. You know, on second serve returns, if you leave it short, she's going to gun it cross-quarter, open up the court for herself. I mean, this this young American is just so, so impressive. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's my favorite out of all the young, young Americans. All right, let's do that now real yeah. quick. I'm going to list some for you. Sophia Kennan, Amanda Nisimova, obviously in the headlines right now, but we can't forget CeCe Bellis. We can't forget young Americans Coco Goff, Whitney Osegway, uh, who have been you know world number one juniors, obviously have that sort of pedigree. Um, off the top of my head, Katie McNally, uh, you know, two-time Junior Slam doubles champion, I believe. I mean, there's so many talented young Americans. You really have Anisimova. Oh, I have to be forgetting some, I'm sure. But you have Anisimova above the rest. I mean. I do. I, I really do. I mean, to me, she's got the whole package. She's she's still super young, too. She just, to me, she has the most upside. I mean, look, she's already in the quarters of a major here. She's going to play Simona Halep at the French Open. I mean, on clay, if she can do this on clay, I mean, we know what she could do on a hard court. I just think she's got the most upside. Out of all those players that you met, I mean, Kennan's been great, obviously. I love Kennan as well, but I just think... I mean, Anna Samova's younger than Kennan by by kind of a lot, by like four or five years. And to me, that's that's kind of a, a big deal. I just think at her age, with the way that her game 
is developed right now and what it could develop into within the next three or four years, I, I just think she's going to be a top player, you know, number one in the world type player. It, it's just going to happen. I think it speaks to how spoiled we are that there are so many other young, talented uh, Americans we could talk about. I mean, I've watched Whitney Osegue a lot recently because of the spoiler, or I guess teaser for you Cracked Rackets fans, we're going to have her on the podcast soon. I mean, she's incredibly talented. Coco Goff, so talented. Mm -hmm. Uh, Claire Liu, I didn't mention her, another incredibly talented young American. I mean, Caroline Dollahide's not that, she's right around Sophia Kennan's age as well. She's got so much talent. Ugh. I don't know, man. I mean, they're all so good. It's. I mean, they so are. Man. But I picked somebody, man. I picked mine. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking. Uh, I mean, Anissa Mova right now is the one to beat of that group, I suppose, just given the results she has. You can't argue when you make a round of 16 quarterfinal at back to back slams on different surfaces. You're number one for the group. Don't forget about How old Cece is she Bellas. again? Is she even 18? You no, know, no, she's 17. Exactly. No, but I'm saying don't forget about CeCe Bellis, who's been out with injury now for a while, but was well, really starting to work her way into the top 50. I guess what I'm saying, we're spoiled because we have so many talented ones. But I'll ask you this right now, and I know Anisimova, because she's so young, has some age restrictions. But I still think she's a step below the Stevens and the Keys in terms of her level. And just, just because I've seen them do it week in, week out now for so long. Yeah, I mean, that may be fair at this point. I mean, she's behind them, obviously, in age and experience. So I, I, I agree with that statement. I mean, I don't think that's – I agree with you there. But, you know, we're talking about the, the young, the young ones, you know, that we haven't seen quite as much of – Madison Keys and Sloane Stevens are not that much older than you, Matt. Well, I know, I, if at me, all, I know, but I'm saying I, we're talking. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about, though. Okay, so, it, so you're saying you don't consider yourself young? Uh, well, compared to what, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, good question. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I'm not trying to say that Madison and Sloane are old <laughs> but they've just they've been around a lot longer yeah, i mean they've played in many more many more time. slams i just if we're going with like the less experienced players the ones that we just haven't seen yeah. I'm, I'm i'm taking anna samova i know i'm just giving you a hard time all i'm trying to say is don't stop enjoying the keys stevens primes because i think both of them oh, have of a few not. more slams in them and yes i know madison keys doesn't have one yet but she's certainly capable of winning one yep yeah, it, it's a really talented group. Uh, American women's tennis is in great hands. If only the men were in a similar situation. That's um, right. Yeah, and then again, I mentioned the Halep, and you know, she's looked so good. I think her versus Anisimova will be a great match. Uh, Barty Keys, but just any any final thoughts on those third and fourth rounds? Are you ready to talk about the guys? Well, let's go to the guys, man. Yeah, thirty minutes in, and we're just getting to the guys. <laughs> but all right, I like it. We you get you listeners deserve a long pod after we take a weekend off. So Westoff, give me the bell for the men's side, please. What a men's tournament it has been, Matt. I mean, you look at just some of the results, and again, we'll start with the third round. You know, I think you have two, three, four fifth, uh, four fifth cent matches there. Obviously, we have a couple of them extending beyond that six six range. I mean, you're looking at the results from this, and the ones that stick out to me, you know, 
Alex Zverev, one of the young guns, able to survive his five-set experience. Borna Cioric, a different young gun, not able. He goes out 11-9 in the third. Kane Nishikori, a veteran, he gets that 8-6 fifth set. Uh, Moutet, a young Frenchman, he loses 6-4. It's just, it's so interesting to me to see in these five sets, which of these guys, you know, just physically have sort of a built-in benefit from the best of five format. Yeah, and I think we see it a lot at the French, don't we? I mean, on the surface, that's when we get a lot of grinding five-setters because guys are just, you know, it's easier to break. You can get in more service games than you can on a grass court or, or a fast hard court, so... Yeah, no, these matches are awesome, and, and this is why, you know, this is what makes Roland Garros awesome, is we, every year, you're going to get some of these five centers, and you don't know which way they're going to go. You've got some guys that are a little bit, uh, you know, less heard of, like a Frenchman, like Moute in there that we, we didn't expect uh, to be in there, and, and he drops his match to Londera there, but it was a, it was still a phenomenal match to watch, and you know, then you've got some favorites coming through. Nishikori gets through, Zverev gets through. We expect them to, um, but but they're challenged. And to see them get through, that's, that's a good thing for those guys. And just for tennis in general, yeah, I, I love the five-setters, man. It's You can't pull me away from the TV when, when one of these guys is in a five-setter. Yeah, well, and I just want to do two quick third-round breakdowns of Matt. Or not really breakdowns, but just talk about them real quickly. We'll save the breakdowns for the fourth round. And we'll talk about Alex Zverev in a little bit, so we don't have to talk about him now. But uh, one of the more impressive results for me, Stan Wawrinka, 7-6, 7-6, 7-6 over Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, you know, I believe that was a match that was extended. No, not extended over two days, uh, but they played that match. Yeah, no, just, it was, actually. Oh, no, it, it was, was extended over two days. See, I'm, I'm already losing my place and just... For both of these guys, for Grigor, yes, it's a third-round loss, but the level he showed knocking out Marin Chilich in the second round, you know, you lose three breakers in a match, you definitely had a chance to win that match. I thought it was a win-win for both players, and, you know, I think for Grigor, this could be a potential turning point where, no, he's not going to crack the top 10 maybe by the end of the season, but by the U.S. Open, if he can get himself back into a place where he could be seated, I think that's definitely the result from, you know, hover back around that top 20 come year end. I certainly hope so. I mean, I've mentioned before that I'm a fan of Grigor. I really like his game. I- Is there anyone you're not a fan of? Um, yeah. Yes, but you're, you don't want to say it on the pod. That's right. <laughs> that's that's right well i think name rhymes with mick stakoria <laughs> no. um no but i i do agree with you i mean hopefully grigor can can get back you know get seated at, at a major again i mean that's he look his talent is off the charts he should be there there's no way that he shouldn't be in a position to be seated at at every major he plays and you know he got through that chillich match i i actually had losing that one if you remember on our preview pod i i took chillich in that match so yeah, for him to get through that one was great and, and play Stan super tough. I knew that he was going to lose to Stan because he always loses to Stan. And it, mentally, it just seems like, you know, those two guys are really good friends. Stan just has that edge. He just, he knows he knows how to be Grigor. And it just seems to me like every time they play, and they play quite a bit, even in majors, Stan has that edge. So the result doesn't shock me. Um but yeah, no, like you said, I mean, I think Grigor can take some positives out of this tournament, the way that he had been playing, at least, prior to it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And then the other result I wanted to mention real quick, uh, Rafa Nadal, a winner, 6-1, 6-3, 4-6, 6-3 over David Goffin. 
you know, he drops a set, so I feel like it becomes newsworthy. But to me, yeah, he drops a set. You know, Gofang gets a gets a break and holds on to it, but nothing nothing off script. You know, at this point in Rafa's career, a loss set happens, and to that point, I guess up to the third round, and then including this result, despite dropping a set, not worried at all about his form. No, not at all. Just because the other, the three sets that Rafa won, I mean, he looked he looked great. You could tell that he was still playing very good tennis. Gofan got that break, I believe, super late in that third set. By the way, I think it was at like four all that he broke and then held to win to win the set. So they they were playing a good set. Rafa was right in it, and Gofan came up with the goods at the end of it. So yeah, no, I mean, for Rafa, not concerning. I mean, Gofan's a a really good player and he he was able to sneak out that third set no worries Rafa came back in the fourth took care of business and looked pretty darn good to me so I think Rafa's on a on a great track I'm looking at the live rankings right now uh David Goffin currently live ranking number 28 yes that is correct oh nope just kidding David Goffin currently a live ranking of number 33. Wow. Look for Grigor Dimitrov. He currently has a live ranking of number 46. My question to you, which one of them ends the year ranked higher? I don't know the point situation, but just top of your head. I'd probably go fan. I mean, I I don't know, man. Grigor, to me, just... Without talking about this tournament, his year, he's just... He has not had a good year whatsoever. But here's the, he's lost so many tie breaks, and I feel like <laughs> this is a big moment for him. That's what I'm saying is for this Dimitrov thing, yes, Gofen, you get a set off in the dull, but really you're the 27 seat. It's, you should be in that third round. For Dimitrov, that win over Chilich, and no, Chilich doesn't have the best form, but just mentally to get a win over a seed on a stage like that, that's a breakthrough moment. That's something where you're like, okay, now my confidence, it's a little bit back. I hope so. I mean, I hope you're right. I hope the answer to your question, I hope it's Grigor, but I, <laughs> I'm going to stick with GoFan. I believe it's going to be GoFan. I'm not yet sold on Grigor. I'm just not, even after this tournament. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Well, then, any other thoughts on this third round, or is it time to get into those fourth round breakdowns? Oh, let's do it. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Well, then, the match I think we have to start with. Probably to this date the most entertaining match on the men's side of the uh, the singles tournament. San Juarinka, the number twenty four seed, a seven six five seven six four three six eight six win over number six seed Stefano Tsitsipas. Obviously, Stefano Tsitsipas, the most wins on the ATP tour thus far in twenty nineteen, has had an electric year. You know, he makes a final at a Masters event on clay in the build up to this. He's won you know titles on the hard court. He made the semifinals of the Australian Open, beating. Federer and he created so many chances for himself in this match it, it was a brilliant level of play I I don't even know where to begin Matt what are you thinking I I know man I mean this match was I, I was just mind blown I mean this was by far the best match of of this tournament probably one of the best matches if not the best match of the entire year so far I mean it was that good the quality was absolutely outstanding from both guys I mean they play five hours and they're both just they're both out there in the fifth set still playing well I mean the quality did not suffer and uh, mentally both of these guys I don't know I just I enjoyed every part of this I didn't take my eye off it for one second it was such a pleasure to watch and I was I was just 
I was enjoying every minute of it. I mean, I think for Stan, I, I took Sitsipas to win match in my in my draw. So, um, you know, Stan gets it done. I mean, we know he's big match Stan, right? I mean, historically, this guy throughout his career plays his best tennis in the biggest matches at the biggest tournaments. That's when he turns up. I mean, you may not see him at some 250 event in uh, Bolivia or somewhere like that. You know, he may not he may not win that tournament, but. You can you can bet that at the Grand Slam, Stan Wawrinka, if he's healthy, is going to show up and be a force. And this was just one of those matches, man. I mean, like you mentioned, Sitsipas most wins on tour in 2019. He was the flashy pick, you know, the guy that most people were saying, hey, he can make a run. He can get to a semifinal, a final here. You know, he can push Rafa if they play in the semis and all that. And, and Stan just, he hung in there and... and he really shouldn't have probably won the match. I mean, Tsitsipas had way more chances. He was in more of Stan's service games. I mean, Stefanos was holding easily while he was really forcing Stan to come up with the goods and save some break points. Um, All right, I'm going to interrupt you there because I could not agree more, and I think that's where we have to take this. That was Yeah. We've, we groveled at the level of that match. I agree with you. It was competition at its finest, but... It is not, and should have means nothing. He didn't. He reflected on it in Instagram and his press conference and the usual social media stuff, which it was a great response. Normally it's Tennis Twitter Tuesday, but we have a lot of tennis to talk about, so I suppose I'll weave in the Twitter commentary. Go check that out because he really did handle the loss with such class, talked about how it was a learning experience, all of these things. That being said, Stefano Tsitsipas should have won this match. Yes. I mean, he really should have. And you look at the stats from this, they reflect that. You look at his breakpoint opportunities versus Stan's. He goes 5 of 27 on breakpoint chances versus Stan's 5 of 14. You look at the first serve percentage, 67 to Stan's 62. Wins 74% of his first serves to Stan's 71. He plays 206 return points to Stan's 183. He wins 195 total points to Stan's 194 when it's 8-6 in the fifth and you know no shit, both players can win the match right. but this match was on Stefano's racket so many times and to me one of like the the uh, the reasons I think and you look at the stats one of the other I'll turn to real quick before we get big picture net points in this match Stan goes in efficient 22 of 31 70 percent CT pass 50 of 74 67 percent but so th- I think that stats a little misleading because there were times for me still and Stefano CT pass the way he was able to hit through his backhand with elevation heavy spin to get it outside of Stan's comfort z- strike zone in terms of getting Stan you know he's got to swing for it high instead of right at his uh, waist level, uh, all these things, you know, hitting the inside out forehand, setting up the inside in, following it in, obviously Stefano's, his strength speaks for themselves, but he still gets a little bit, he, he just picks his spots weirdly at the net, sometimes he tries to be a little flashy, yeah. goes for diving volleys, other times, especially, you know, the match point, he, the first forehand he hit off of this plus one on the serve, he should have followed that one in and Stan when he, you know, was about to float a slice anyways, but when he didn't really floated that one to buy himself time, I thought he came in off of the wrong forehand on that opportunity, and look, these are really nitpicky things because it's 8-6 in the fifth, and I'm sorry for ranting at you, Matt, I know I've heard you start to try you know, start talking twice. So I swear I'll shut up after this. But to me, you know, that he reflected on this being a learning experience is the most impressive thing because it was on his racket. And this shows, you know, he's ready to compete in second weeks. He makes the semifinals of of the Australian Open, was inches away from the quarterfinals of the French. This guy's ready to win now. 
Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, his mentality is there. there. There's no question about that. That's why I really, I really like this guy. I mean, he's, he's awesome. And, you know, you mentioned some of those net points. I mean, for me, yeah, you're right. I mean, he picks some weird spots at times, but what I love is I just, I love his willingness Completely to do agree. it because there's players out there that do not do it. And, and you watch them and you're like, man, if he just had that willingness to move forward and finish at the net, it would make things so much easier. And and for Stefanos, he does that. And I think throughout his career, there's going to be a time where we get on one of these pods and we say, look at that. Look at what Sidipas did, and it won him the match. When his willingness to move Wait. forward like that, I guarantee you— Counterpoint. We, will... we did that when he beat Roger Federer in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. That's right. I- exactly. We've already done that. And and there will be more times throughout his career, many more times, that we're going to look at that and say, that was genius. That was perfect. And I, so for me, I mean, that's— that's what I take away is just his willingness to do that even on a clay court, a slow clay court, is just phenomenal to me. Most guys will not do that. And the fact that he can do that comfortably, I mean, he, he it's it's natural to him. It's just it's gonna pay off down the road. And he's he's gonna be in this position again, and he's gonna win a match like this. You know, when he gets in this position again, I guarantee he will. But stand the man, man. I mean, he just on some of those break points down, I do have to say, Stan would come up with his best tennis. I mean, he would make a couple brutal errors, and then all of a sudden he gets down break point or double break point, and he plays ridiculous tennis. And again, that's that's kind of what Stan does. It's weird, but it's like when the pressure's really there, when his back's against the wall, he comes up with the points that he needs to come up with. I don't know. And and he did it just enough to win this match when when really he, he should have lost it. So kudos to him. Yeah, Stan was incredible. I mean, 62 winners against 55 unforced errors for Tsitsipas, 61 winners against 48 unforced errors. These guys were just hitting first strike tennis, winner after winner. They're both turning like crazy into their inside in forehands. It was such a physically impressive match. I mean, the slice backhand pass winner down the line for Stan on match point. That's as good as it gets. This was high-quality tennis, and yeah, I mean, we've mentioned, uh, I think the thing is, for Federer, I would argue, from the Stan perspective, you cannot be happier, because Stan Wawrinka must be physically drained, and I know these guys are professionals. Obviously, Stan's going to put himself in a position physically to compete, but just, uh, another thing that breaks beautifully for Fed, who obviously <laughs> was a um, straight-set winner over Mayer 6-2, 6-3, 6-3. Yeah, best case scenario. And you know, I was saying during that Stan Sitsipas match, oh, this is looking good for Roger. <laughs> I mean, it just, I knew, I was like, oh man, the longer these guys go, Roger is just loving it. And then I was saying, if Stan wins this, that's even better for Roger. I think Roger wants to play Stan. He would have been, it would have been tougher to play Stefanos, especially after that grueling match. I think Sitsipas could have recovered faster. I think, I think like you mentioned, Stan is going to be hurt in a little bit. He, I mean, he's got to, that's just, it's the human body, right? I know they're professionals, but I mean, sometimes when you play five hour, five hours of brutal tennis, and you're 34 years old or whatever Stan is, I mean, your body's just going to feel a certain type of way no matter how much recovery you do. So, yeah, for Roger, he's loving this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, looking at some of the other results, the next match I want to turn to from this round, uh, because, again, there's so many good times. We could really break down all of them, but 
the one that really, really caught my eye, and I wanted to bring him up because I know this will start a nice little argument between us. Number five seed, Alex Zverev, who does a nice little <laughs> to you, Matt, and yep. beats Fabio Fognini 3-6-6-2-6-2-7-6. Maybe the best decision of the 2019 season, other than scrapping the transition tour or, you know, Texas <laughs> taking out Chi-Chi Huang for Rodrigo Banzer. Uh of the season was Alexander Zverev's decision to play Geneva because he has stepped up his game and yeah quarterfinal to second French uh, consecutive French Open quarterfinal uh, it's just a quarterfinal I know I shouldn't overreact but this is the exact sort of confidence he needed uh, heading into the rest of the 2019 year it's his first win over a top 20 player at a Grand Slam. Yes, that's right. No, I mean, you know I've gone on the record. Of course, I picked Fognini to win this match, and I've talked at length about how Zverev just doesn't show me what he needs to at the majors. He just doesn't do it. And look, I, if I if I rip on a guy, I've got to praise him when he does when he does the right thing. And and this was huge for him. I mean, I if you say it's an overreaction, I don't think it is. I think for Zverev, this was a phenomenal result. It's just a quarterfinal, but for him. That's a huge deal. He doesn't make many quarterfinals. So I, I, he doesn't. So this is this is awesome. I mean, he loses that first set, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. Another <laughs> fourth-round loss. But no, I mean, he put that first set behind him. He came back 6-2-6-2-7-6, exactly what we want to see from him. It was a great performance over a guy that's been a super hot player on tour. I mean, there's no question Fognini, who won Monte Carlo a couple months ago or a month ago, had been playing outstanding tennis. So for Zverev, this is, it can't be understated, this is a massive result, in my opinion. I mean, it's not just some, yeah, you know, pat on the back. No, man, great job. Great job. My hat's off. And, you know, now he's going to have a tough one, I think, in the next round. But look... This is a big step in the right direction. And one of this, uh, just you're looking at the stats from this match, one of the biggest takeaways I have, yes, Alex Zverev has 12 double faults in this match, but you look at his serving uh, percentages, makes 70% of his first serves, wins 69% of those first serve points, even with the double faults, wins 53% of his second serve points. So you take out those second serves and... Uh, I mean, it's just, I think he goes, what, 22 of 29 on second serve points when not double faulting. I mean, that's just, he kept finding big serves in the biggest moments. That 7-6 fourth set, it's not like they traded breaks. There were no breaks of serve, and I believe zero face break points at the four all and five all games, and he found first serves to turn to serve plus ones. We've mentioned this guy's backhand. The amount of times he found backhand down the line in big moments in this match, so impressive. He was turning into his forehand, you know, sometimes it still struggled with the depth, and I think in those first and fourth sets, Fognini, whenever he got a short ball, this guy's got firepower off of both wings. He capitalized on that, you know, followed it up at the net well, going 26 of 36 on net points when he was able to be the aggressor. Obviously, he had success in that sort of passivity that Zverev sometimes is comfortable being 10 feet behind the baseline, hitting forehand short. That's obviously a, a long-term thing with Alex Zverev that isn't solved overnight, but the biggest takeaways for me, he just kept be, uh, you know, being aggressive in big moments, moved forward a ton in this match. In fact, I think Paul Anacone was on the call and kept saying, I don't know how I feel always about Zverev moving forward in this match because of how proficient he can be at the baseline. And there were times when you think maybe if he lets this Fognini slice return sit, sits on a serve plus one backhand, he could open up the court better for himself. 
but I thought the way he just kept reinforcing the fact that he was going to take time away from Fognini. He wanted to move forward to make him uncomfortable, that he went 28 of 46, you know, even at the Australian Open, I do, and I know it's a different surface, but I don't think we see Alex Vera come to the net that often. Nope, exactly. This is what I've been calling for for a long time, man, right? I mean, you know, this is how this is how I want him to play. This is how he needs to play. And and look at what happened. He won a, a huge match in the in the round of 16 at the French Open by playing that way. That's how he needs to play. He needs to look at this match and understand, okay, if I'm going to be successful, if I'm going to win a major, if I'm going to go deep in in these tournaments, Year after year, this is how I need to do it because it works. And when he doesn't play that way, we know what happens. So hopefully, you know, even with the win, I, they always say you learn more from a loss than a win. But I think he can learn something from this win. And if he applies that for the rest of his, you know, for the rest of the matches, then it gives him a better chance to well, win. Look. And we know how talented he is. He was asked in the post-match interview, you know, what's going to have to change? What are you going to have to do to beat Novak Djokovic? He said, I'm going to have to be way more aggressive. And yeah, one of the ways you yes. can do that is coming to the net. But to Paul Anacone's point, he's right. He, You know, Zverev obviously can pick his spots better if instead of some four servant volleys, he makes that a backhand and he follows that backhand in. You know, that's still the same sort of purpose of being aggressive, still putting that onus on your opponent. So I think he had a point there. But I also completely agree with you, Matt. Just reinforcing that as talented as he is from the baseline, he's now saying, I am adding a dimension. I'm going to use my wingspan at the net. You know, this is something you have to worry about because I can open up angles so well with my serve. If you're standing 10 feet behind the baseline, I'm going to hit a quick serve and volley and take time away from you like that. And it's just, it's a new dimension. It's just, again, something needed to change for him to make these jumps to the late round, beat a top 20 player more consistent. And maybe it's something, and this isn't a hot take, but it's something as little as that, even just throwing in that mix. It's what we've all been calling for. And it's great to see him adapting. Yeah, it is. And and let's just see if he can apply it consistently because we don't see it all that often out of him. So if he can if he can start to incorporate this into his game, then absolutely. I mean, I've said how talented Everyone, the guy is. Yeah, I mean, the guy's I, a beast. He's five in the world. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, he has all the ability to be consistently going deep in every single major that he plays. He just has to play the right way. Yeah. I agree with you. Well, then, uh, any other final match uh, thoughts from on this one, or can we uh, move on? Any fo- final Fognini thoughts as we head into the grass and hardcore season from him? I just hope you know he doesn't sour from this loss because his level's phenomenal. Oh, yeah, no, he's had a great clay court season. I mean, I think if you would have told him, hey, you're going to win Monte Carlo, you're going to make the fourth round at the French, I mean, you know, he would have taken that. He would have been happy with that. He's played great, you know. The thing with Fognini is like you ne- you never really know. You know, he could show up on the grass and you know, he could he could be a first round loser at Wimbledon. I mean, that wouldn't be shocking depending on his draw. It's just mentally is he going to show up and and be ready to play? I think it's it's a little bit more mental with him. He's a talented shot maker, but for his clay court season, yeah. I mean, if he can if he can uh you know, head into this last part of the year or last half of the year with the same momentum that he took from the clay then yeah he's gonna be he's gonna be scary for anybody to play I mean you look at the live rankings right now he's number 10 
Yeah. Yeah, that's about as well as the Clay season could have gone for him. So I agree. I look forward to continuing to see his form. Hopefully he continues this level throughout the season because the ATP Tour is a better place when he's playing well. But all right, a couple other matches I want to talk about real quick. We'll do a mini breakdown for this one, but number four seed Dominic Team, obviously one of the favorites coming into this tournament. Uh, he struggles a bit in his first couple of matches, loses a couple sets along the way, and then he puts together his best performance of the tournament thus far in the fourth round, knocking off a you know a very well playing Gael Monfils 14 seed 6-4-6-4-6-2. Obviously, the highlight will all see the tweener uh, team hits in that third set for a winner on Monfils. That's obviously when you can do something like that. It speaks to how well you play. Up a man, you know, Gael Monfils sometimes likes to play around on the court, give his opponent a chance to really go after it, and that's the last thing in the world you can do against Dominic Team. And I just thought this was a perfect matchup for him, and he played flawlessly. Yeah, no, I mean, Team is starting to find his game. I mean, it, it's a scary sight for those top three. You know, we mentioned the top three earlier. Well, Team's sitting there at number four, and this guy is a serious threat on clay. I mean, he, I wouldn't be completely shocked if he won the whole tournament. So, um, yeah, no, he played outstanding. I mean, Monfils had been in great form. He's got the crowd behind him. They're in Paris, but, I mean, Team just didn't really have any errors. I mean, he played such an efficient, such an efficient match, and... Yeah, it's scary when when he's, you know, he started a little, maybe a little slow in those first couple rounds. He still played pretty well overall, I think, but but this was very well. And as we get into the quarterfinals now, that's scary for everybody else, man, because this guy's a, he's been a finalist here before. So, yeah, yeah he's, look out. He's the real deal. 60% of his first serves go in when 79% of those points 62% of his second serve points, 27 winners against 14 unforced errors. The backhand down the line was working, forehand down the line. He moved yep. forward a little bit. I mean, everything was looking well. And yeah, this is a guy much like Simona Halep on the women's side. He's finding his form as the tournament goes along. He knows what it takes to make a deep run here. You know, uh, I love Zverev Djokovic. I will save a prediction for that for later. But for Dominic Team, I mean, he's going to need his best tennis if he wants to get through this tournament, and it's nice to see him finding it at this point. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's he's one of the guys that a lot of people had their eye on at the beginning of the tournament, and he's, he's still here. And the fact that he just played his best match by far in the round of 16 just it bodes well for any Dominic Team fans out there, I think. Yeah, and I am amongst them. But then one other match I want to talk about, our last breakdown. I know this is a long pod, but as we mentioned, we got we have a lot to talk about. I have no issues if you don't, Matt. Um, Karen Kachinov, as I affectionately mentioned, the number 10 seed, a guy I said in our preview pod, you know, this, this format, best of five, always benefits him because he's one of the most physically fit players on tour and just... You know, the ability to be able to outlast him three out of five on a clay surface. Good luck to anyone trying to do that. I think that trait bore itself the most today. He knocks out number eight seed Juan Martin Del Potro, seven five six three three six six three for Del Po for this to be, you know, his first big tournament back. I'm sure he's thrilled with a fourth round appearance, but for Kachinov to make the quarterfinals, another guy who it's not like, you know, he didn't have the best start to the season, obviously, but uh, it's all right. You know, he had put himself in a position where it's okay that he had that little bit of a struggle, but just the perfect rebound for him here in Paris. 
Oh, unbelievable. I mean, Gruskin, he came into Roland Garros 10 and 12 on the year was his record. That is not good, especially for a player of his caliber. So this is an awesome result. I mean, this is, you know, again, he's, it's kind of like Zverev, right? Where this is a guy that we just, we feel like with his skills, his talent, he should be making deep runs, fourth rounds consistently, quarterfinals. He should be getting to this point in majors. And yeah, for him to finally break through and do it, especially after the year that he's had is awesome. I mean, this tournament right here could turn his whole year around. I mean, he came in 10 and 12. You know, now he's obviously surpassed that. He's positive on the year, and and he's not done yet. I mean, we'll see how the rest of the tournament goes, but regardless, he could lose next round. And I think going into the grass court season and then the hard court, you know, the U.S. Open Series, his whole year could just— we could remember 2019 in a completely different light for Karen Hatchinoff than we would have if he would have made an early exit here. So if he ends up, you know, making some some deep runs at the later tournaments this year and shoots his ranking up there again and finishes strong, it's it started right here. He's played great. So his last five slam results, fourth round last year, French, fourth round last year, Wimbledon, third round U.S., third round Australia, now quarterfinals here. You yeah. know, I think he's proving second week is the expectation. He's able to yes. meet those expectations, hold seed, and that he's able to get a win over, you know, a hobbly but still uh, somewhat just a tough out in Juan Martin Del Potro. You know how challenging it is to win any points when he's making the first serve and getting a chance at a first forehand. You know, Kachanov took his, he built himself chances here, four break points, uh, uh, four break point conversions on 13 chances. 58 winners against only 35 unforced errors. He knew if I can just wait out the Del Post storm, get a ball to his backhand, I'll have chances to attack with my inside out and inside in forehand combo. He goes an efficient 22 of 27 on on the match at the net. He knew if I can get Del Post stretched, it's really hard for him at this point with his knee to change directions. Just a really uh, efficient match, very clinical. And you look at you know Kachanov's draw moving forward. Him and Dominic Team, it's going to be a battle. And if my memory serves me correctly, and I'll look this up, I believe he's had success against a uh, team in the past. Yeah, I think he has as well. Uh, we can double check on oh, their head double check. record. One and zero, they played at the Paris Masters, six four six one catch off. So yeah, That's I right. guess he's one and zero. But the point being, it I don't hate the matchup for him. No, don't hate the matchup. I mean, it's definitely tougher on Clay. I mean, team. Sure. It, Team would prefer this to be to be on clay. So I, I think it bodes well for team, but again, very dangerous opponent with the way Hatchinoff is playing. I mean, Dominic team should be on full alert. Uh and I and I think he will be. I think this has a chance to be an awesome match. I, I really do. I'm just excited for Hatchinoff because this is another guy that we've kind of talked about that is he's underachieved this year for sure. I mean, he would have told you that himself. He has not had a good 2019, but this is the exact kind of result that we look for out of him, and, and he's playing playing great tennis, the tennis that we know that he has in him. So I'm just I'm happy to see him in the quarters. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And you look at some of the other guys joining him real quick to recap the rest of the round. Um, you have Ki Nishikori, a five-set winner in his match, uh, 6-2, 6-7, 6-2, 6-7, 7-5 over Benoit Pair. 
Uh, obviously, for Nishikori now, I believe that was his second five-set match, so you have to wonder physically how he's In a row. Holding. Yeah, and so you have to wonder you know, physically how he's holding up. The guys we haven't mentioned, of course, the top three seeds, all advancing in straight sets. Djokovic over Struff, 3-2-2. and two. Federer over Mayer, 2-3-3. Three, and three. Nadal over Landero, 2-3-3. Two, three, three. So, you know, those guys cruising. And that really sets up our quarterfinal round. And just, you know, what we can – I want to save some content for Jamie or whoever takes tomorrow's mini break. But for tomorrow's matchup, Federer versus Wawrinka, Nadal versus Nishikori. We've, we've hinted on it before. But for Wawrinka and Nishikori, that physically, you know, the matches they've had, not what you want when you're entering the dojo against those two. That's right, man. I just, I don't like it for, for either of those guys. I mean, Fed and, and Rafa have just, they've been super efficient. They've gone through this tournament with relative ease, both of them. I know Rafa dropped that set that we talked about, but it, no matter. I, I mean, I, I think it's going to take an absolutely monumental effort out of either Stan or Nishikori to, to take out Rafa and Fed. I'm, I don't think it's going to happen. If you, if you want my, I don't know if you're asking for my picks, but you already know you know what I had in my draw anyways. So I yeah, think you, you can answer that question for me. Yeah. Well, you definitely had Nadal and Nishikori both holding seed and for our fans, Nadal ten no, and two I didn't. life. Oh, you had Nishikori going out? Yeah, I had Medvedev in there. Ah I had Medvedev in there who definitely blew that section of the draw for me. No, he is not there now, I can tell you that. But for Nishikori, you know, he's two and ten lifetime against Nadal. Both of his wins coming on outdoor hard courts. And Nadal has beaten him on clay once, twice, three times, four times in their career. Uh, in none of the occasions, nope, in one of the occasions, Nishikori, two of the, nope, just one of the occasions he got a set. They played at the 2013 Roland Garros round of 16. Nadal won that match, 6-4, 6-1, 6-3. I mean, Nishikori is going to have to play first strike tennis, obviously, and just, it's very hard to do that on a clay court against Rafa Nadal. He'll have to yeah. serve well. He'll have to attack the backhand. Uh, he might even have to move forward and just, you know, do different things to buy himself time because if you just let Nadal wear you out physically, keep stretching you out wide on the backhand, as much firepower as Nishikori has on that side, it's it's no easy task. You know, that's why Nadal's only lost twice at Roland Garros. Right. Yeah, I just, I don't like it for Nishikori. It's just a bad matchup in my opinion. I, mm-hmm. I, I think I think Rafa's going to be able to, especially with the physical condition that I expect Nishikori to be in, I don't think he's going to be feeling physically fresh. So I, I just, I have a feeling that Rafa's going to have his way a little bit with that one. I could be wrong, but that's just, that's my gut feeling. No, I like it. And then you look at, you know, for Stan and Roger, these two obviously have played 25 times. Roger, 22-3. and three. I will say all three of Stan's wins have come on clay. Stan beat him at the Roland Garros quarterfinals, 2015, 4-3-6. He beat him 2009, Monaco, 4-5. and five, And he also beat him uh, at 2014, Monaco final, 4-6-7-6-6-2. Uh, I mean, the you know, no secrets in these two matchups. They know exactly how they want to play one another. Physical, you know, preparation and how they've worn down a side. What will Stan have to do, you think, to beat Roger to, uh, tomorrow or today? Well, he's I gonna, suppose. Yeah, he's gonna do. He's gonna have to do exactly what he did in 2015, which happens to be Roger's last loss at Roland Garros. It's funny that they're playing again here, um, but he's just he's gonna have to hit huge. He's gonna have to go absolutely massive and just rip balls by fed i mean because fed is going to try to mix in the slice and get stan uncomfortable fed will be very efficient on serve we know that stan is just going to have to on his service games 
absolutely make a high percentage of first serves and just go big on the next ball. He's got to take Roger out before Roger can can get into his game. And that's how we beat him the last time. In 2015, if you remember, Gruskin, Stan was just absolutely ripping the ball. It was unbelievable. He won that title. He beat Novak in the final. It was incredible tennis. I, that's that's what he's going to have to do. And I just don't know if he's physically going to be able to do that coming off that Pass match. I just, oh, I, I don't think it's going to be there for him. I think Roger gets him. This is not meant to disrespect either player or try and compare them, but I think for Stan, one benefit he may have, Tsitsipas does a lot, he doesn't slice the way Roger does, but he does a lot of things similarly to Roger in terms of the way he wants to attack you. Yeah. So Stan, no, and it's not like Stan needed the warm up, but it is nice to play the same style back to back and understand the rhythm you sort of need against that sort of play. But yeah, it's going to be awfully tough. I mean, Roger has looked so good on the surface. I mean, I agree with you with the Rafa pick over Nishikori. I want to be different from you, and I don't— It's I mean, hard, I though, man. I mean, because these are kind of yeah. obvious, right? I mean, it's—you yeah. know, I mean— If Roger just... wins tomorrow, does he finger wag? No, they only do that if he beats Nadal in the semis, right? Yeah, no, there's no way he does. Overst- yeah. Not overstand, No. Yeah, no finger wagging. I agree with no. you. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the picks are easy. And, you know, I, as I mentioned, we'll talk about the other half of the draws tomorrow as we preview those matches. And we've talked so much tennis, so we can kind of wrap things there. Any other thoughts on this first week of action? Any things we missed, Maddie, that you want to cover before we wrap up? I don't think so, man. I think we pretty much hit on everything we needed to. It's, it's <laughs> we been always a great, do. Uh, we always do. It's been a good first week. I've I've really enjoyed it. I mean, definitely on the men's side, of course. You know, you look at our quarterfinals, and we have what six out of the top eight that made it through. Uh, you know, with only Del Potro and Sitsipas, um, you know, not making it through there. So six out of eight. You know, that's that's a lot of chalk on the men's side, but on the women's side, it looks it looks a little bit different. So, I mean, it's two different draws. It's just it's interesting to watch them both unfold because that men's side, I'm telling you, man, we and you know how I make my picks. These top guys are they're they're looking so good. I mean, I, I hope you can understand why I picked that way because I mean look look what's happening. They're they're playing outstanding. And you know, then on the women's side, it's it's all about those upsets, man. It's you know, what upset can you pick first before somebody else picks it, it seems. So yeah, no, but great first week, and I think these quarters both on the men's and women's side are gonna be awesome. So I'm looking forward to it. If I'm going to have to deal with another Rafa Nadal French Open title, all I ask the tennis gods is that they have it be over one of Dominic Team or Alex Zverev. Just don't give me a Djokovic-Nadal final because I can't handle but the back-to-back. Why, what if it was absolutely epic, though? No, with the it, way it, that it's going to be a tremendous playing... match. Of yeah. course it is, but I, I want something new, Maddie. You can enjoy – you know where you can find Djokovic and Nadal? YouTube. It's great tennis, and I agree. It's so much fun to watch. I often do go back and watch those matches, but I would love a Zverev uh, French Open final appearance. Mmm, that would be juicy. Not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can dream. Well, then, uh, we can, <laughs> yeah, we can wrap things there. Obviously, if you've missed out on any of the action, be sure to check out our website, crackrackets.com, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We have been keeping those up to date. So if you've missed anything, go check that out. If you missed anything, you missed college tennis, you want to go listen to some of those things, check out our Cracked Interviews podcast. So many great interviews from the college tennis season, as well as pro interviews, you know, coaches, uh, 
people from the WTT, just the tennis world you won't want to miss. So go listen to that, the Great Shot podcast, the What the Deuce podcast. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Uh, I mentioned, but I'll end again. Check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, where you can find all of those awesome things. Shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, have a f***ing editing job to do and continue to kill it with all of their work. But with that being said, for my wonderful co-host, Matt the Cracks Tekoiak, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Manny, it's been a hell of a French Open, so what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. Uh, And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back.